Music and Ministry TechCast. Well, we want to welcome everybody to the TechCast. We're so glad you joined us. And by us, of course, I mean the team here at Music and Ministry. My name is Stephen Reed, and I get to be your host today on what hopes to be a very exciting episode of our TechCast because we are actually going to take a question from the mailbag. I was recently asked, how do you get your keyboard player to stop overplaying? So you're really going to want to make sure that you listen all the way through because there is a lot of fun stuff that we're going to share with you today. But the first thing to really know is that people play what they think sounds good. And you're going to hear me say that a lot because it is a very important revelation to grab a hold of because it is the root answer to many of the challenges as we will explain as we go further. So today we're kind of picking on the keyboard players, but all of this applies to all the different instrumentalists. So just fill in whatever instrument is overplaying and you can usually apply the same stuff. So here are the five things. It's how they've been trained. Number two, how they practice. Number three, what sounds they're using. Number four, really important, how they monitor. And then number five, ultimately, how you reward them. So let's jump into this first one. How have they been trained? For a keyboard player, lots of them have been classically trained. So they at some point sat down and were given a lesson and they were shown how to play with sheet music. And that's a real key. So if you have somebody that knows how to read sheet music or that's the framework that they came from, the best thing you can do is hand them sheet music that tells them exactly what to play. Because when they don't have that sheet music, then they struggle and they kind of just make up whatever. And in the classical world, you don't make up whatever. You play exactly what's on the sheet. So that will solve a lot of your problems, except for there's not a whole lot of that available. And if it is available, it's usually orchestrated for them to play the song by themselves, which is the major problem for almost all instrumentalists is that we have been trained to play the song as if we were the only one playing. So that's part of what I mean by how you were trained because if you're playing the song as if you're the only one playing, well then it's gonna sound right to you when you're practicing and then when you get in a group setting, it's not gonna sound right and then you're gonna start making adjustments. So you have to learn how to practice as if other people are going to be playing. So here's an example of what a piano player would do if they got their rehearsal, I was gonna say CD, but the rehearsal MP3 or whatever it is that you're using these days. And they would go home and they would practice and they would play the song as if they were the only one playing and it would sound something like this. makes sense right it sounds like a song you could kind of sing along it sounds right so again people will play what they think sounds good and when you're by yourself this sounds pretty good so then the problem is is that when you get together in your group what sounds good by yourself is not going to sound good together and so that really is number two is then how you practice because most people practice alone as if no one else is playing and it sounds good to them. They come to rehearsal or they come to the service and they're like, I'm prepared. I know I can play something that sounds good, but when it comes together, then it doesn't work as well. All right, so here's an example of that same part that that person practiced by themselves and now it's put together with the drums.
now that didn't really sound that bad. So you're probably thinking, Steve, what is the issue? Well, part of the reason why it sounds pretty good is that I digitally fixed it, a process called quantization, where I moved everything to be right. And you're gonna run into that when you listen to things like the multi-tracks or you look at even sheet music, or if you use one of the services that will show you how to play the parts. We have used worship artistry in the past and all the parts that they're gonna show you how to play will be based on things being quantized. And then when you go to play them live, well, now you don't have the quantization and so things are gonna be slightly off. And what is happening is that the keyboard is playing the exact same rhythm as the drums. So that's gonna make it hard to be together, number one, and then also it's gonna be difficult to hear the keyboard because the drums are gonna be covering that. Now this already sounds pretty full and there's only two instruments. So maybe one of the biggest challenges for any instrumentalist is to play the song with no rhythm. So here's an example of playing the same chord progression, same drum, same volume, only this time we're gonna drop the rhythm. Now this is gonna sound a lot cleaner, but it's actually gonna start to sound empty. And that's gonna really pull against your temptations as an instrumentalist is there's room here, there's space here, I gotta fill this sound. Well, that's why you have the other members of your band. And if you practice as if no one else is there, you're gonna by nature try and fill that sound. So this time I'm gonna go back to the part that sounded kind of good with the drums that where the piano player was playing the rhythm of the drums, but this time I'm gonna add in the rest of the band. In this case, it's gonna be an electric guitar and a bass player. And then I'm also gonna take off the quantization, the digital fixing of the rhythm so it's how I played it. obviously tell that that is starting to sound cluttered and busy and all of the sound people are saying please turn something down and it would probably be the keyboard player so they would end up being basically turned off because what they're playing that sounded great by themselves now in a group setting isn't working so much so let's go back to playing a simpler part with the same sound and you can hear what that's going to sound like Right, so you can already tell that is a whole lot cleaner and sounds better. You don't feel like you have to turn anybody down per se, but you would maybe say, well, that's a little empty or it's really percussive for a moment and then it doesn't sustain as much. So that really brings us to the next point, which is choosing the right sound. So if you're gonna play simply, then you can focus more on having the right sound to match the right part. So in this next example, I'm gonna switch over to a really heavy pad sound 
And I'm actually going to play even simpler by only playing four notes during the intro and then go down to two notes. But you're going to hear how different it sounds by just choosing a different sound. So that's a pretty big difference from where we started with a piano sound that had a lot of rhythm playing the whole songs if they were by themselves to now having this lush pad sound where they're only playing a few notes, but it works in a group setting. So we've covered the first three, how they're trained, how they practice, what sound they use. But here's one that is extremely important, which is how they are monitoring. Because with the rise of soundboards and then the ability to then have personal monitor mixes and then have in-ear personal monitor mixes that aren't even controlled by a sound person, they're controlled by the individual person, what people do is take what they're playing and make it sound right. So rather than change the part they're playing, they change their environment. So this does a couple of things. First of all, it makes the wrong part that they're playing sound right but then it also makes the right part sound empty to them. So by nature, they wanna fill in more because they think that there's more space to be filled. Because they can hear it, they assume everybody else can. So I took all of those same parts that we were doing, but this time, I'm gonna let you hear it from how a keyboard player would monitor. So they're gonna turn themselves up, and they're gonna turn almost everybody else down. They'll probably have the kick drum up, but they'll turn the toms off because everybody turns the toms off and it'll sound something like this. Now the keyboard player is going to think there's space. So that's why they play more because this sounds a tiny bit empty to them. So everyone else is doing this as well. The drummer, the bass player, and the electric guitar player, they are all making their monitor mix sound good to them. So an electric guitar player would sound like this. The bass player would have his mix sound like this. So as you can tell, each instrument's turning what they think's important up or way down. So in this one, you can barely hear the keyboard player because they don't think that they're very important. They're just making what they're playing sound right. So this also doesn't take into account what happens when you monitor in stereo. So if your monitoring system is set up to where you can hear something different out of your left ear than your right ear and move different instruments around from one side to the other, it creates even more of a problem because now you're believing that there's space that doesn't actually exist in the mono world of what people are listening to. And you may say to yourself, hey Steve, our system's in stereo. Well, it may be in stereo, but you're not creating stereo field for everybody in the room. So the person on the left side can't usually hear the speaker that's on the right, and the person on the right can't hear the speaker on the left, 
only the people that are in the middle, which is usually the band, the pastor, and the sound people. So again, how you monitor is extremely important. You want to have what you're listening to be an accurate reflection of what people are listening to in the congregation, so that way you can make good decisions based on reality. And if you can't hear yourself when you put it into that kind of listening environment, that means that there's a problem that needs to be fixed through orchestration and sound rather than just turning people up or down. So the last thing on the list is how you reward people. And this goes a long way when you're trying to lead the people that are on your team. Because when a piano player who can play all of these amazing things and play the whole song as if no one else was with them, and then you ask them to just hold four notes for almost the entire song, they're gonna feel dumb, they're gonna feel bored, but if you reward them and tell them how amazing that is, give them high fives, brag on them about how good they're sounding, well, that will encourage them to continue that behavior. Well, I know that is a lot to think about and hopefully eye-opening to many of you because every church that I've been to is dealing with these same issues. But the good news is, is that you can get it solved. You just have to work on these things. And again, how are they trained? How did they practice? What sounds are they using? How are they monitoring? And how are you rewarding them? If you have any more questions, feel free to contact us at musicandministryconference at gmail.com. And you can also visit our website at musicandministry.co where we have a ton of resources and articles, podcasts, videos, other things that will help you do what God's called you to do. Well, until next time, have a fantastic week and God bless.